Welcome to the Vital Conversations podcast. We are broadcasting from the intersection of Christian faith and society. This podcast aims to inform and motivate people of faith on issues of social justice and concern. I'm your host, Jared Cunningham. Let's get started. All right, we are in part, I'm going to say five, but I'm not sure if it's part five or part four. We're somewhere in the Methodist series, and I am joined by two special guests today. So, ladies first. Hi, I'm Janet Wheatley. And, and I'm Brian Johnson. It's been a while since Brian's been on the podcast. Yeah, it has been a while. It's been months. It's been, it's been a long time. Shame on you, sir. Yeah. Well, people hear from me every Sunday. and Yeah, but that's not the same. The podcast is the voice of the people. It's not the same. It's the voice of me, mostly. <laughs> Which, I mean, isn't a bad voice. But um, here in part, I believe this is part four. I'll find out later. Um, I really want to talk to both of you because I feel like you both have interesting Methodist stories and can shed better light on what it means to be Methodist. In the intro, I said a few months ago, I took this, what it means to be Methodist course. And... It tells you like we go from John Wesley to this very scattered time for about 120 years to the United Methodist Church we know today, and that makes sense. But the question that intrigued me was like, why would someone want to be Methodist today? So that's kind of what I want to get to. And I guess starting with, I'll start with Brian, since I started with Janet first in introductions. Um, How did you first come to the United Methodist Church? Well, we came to the United Methodist Church because my grandmother lived behind the United Methodist Church uh, growing up. Uh, There's probably more to it than that, but uh, I I still remember growing up um, when we would go on Sundays uh, to to Community United Methodist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, Afterwards, we would just go around the corner right behind it, literally just one street back to my grandmother's house um, after church. Um, And church wasn't really big on my radar as a kid or really growing up. Um, it, w- it was always kind of there. It was always kind of in the background. Um, and my faith didn't become real to me until, until college. But I do have some early memories of um, vacation Bible schools. And uh, my joke is always, what I remember from the Methodist church was we'd go on Sunday and sing. And then if you remember the, the Snoopy Peanuts characters, the teachers were always like, wah, 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 wah. And uh, that, that's what I heard when the preacher talked. <laughs> um, but I love sitting in the balcony, and it was a traditional-type sanctuary. Um, but that was my first introduction to it. The, if I fast-forward a little bit, um, when, it wasn't until I became a Christian uh, later on, just end of high school, beginning of college, and I was looking for something different. And I found some other churches. And, and then one of the things I think is it, true of Methodism is it's sneaky. Uh, it, you don't know it's where you are until you find out you're there. So, uh, I didn't really want to go. I felt a call to be a pastor. I didn't really want to go to a Methodist seminary. I wanted to go to a Southern Baptist seminary. That might surprise a few people. That's where I was being kind of pushed in the direction I was being pushed to, um, by some pastors. And it was actually my wife, Melanie, uh, her campus minister was a United Methodist campus minister. And what always stuck out to me was his way that he did discipleship. And I thought, 
I'm not seeing that anywhere else. And I, w- I want to help make disciples the way that he did, Sam Vernon. And uh, so he said, well, I went to Asbury Seminary. And I thought, well, that's a Methodist seminary. I don't want to. <laughs> but I ended up there. And the long story short is I found my home in Methodism. I found that the way that we understand who God is and how Jesus works in the world made sense to me. It was almost like I didn't realize that this was my home. And so in some ways, Methodism for me is kind of a coming back home, and it's where I found my theological fit. There's lots of different ways to follow Jesus, but for me, the Methodist stream has become the way that most makes sense, that helps me to see the world, I think, in the way that Jesus sees the world. We're not perfect, but that, that's the brief snippet. Okay. And Janet, I know your story as well, so I won't say how did you come to the United Methodist Church, but... I was, I was basically growing up in the Methodist church. I feel like that's a good way to put it. So, so just briefly, um, it, Methodism goes way, way back. My grandfather was a Methodist minister, and interestingly enough, he left home at a very early age. Um, and this, this really sets the stage about why I'm a, not only how. W- why I was a Methodist from birth, but also why I continue to be a Methodist. Um, My grandfather was very poor, and he left home and had no place to go, and the Methodist church took him in. And that's what led him to serve Christ as a Methodist pastor. And he was like a circuit pastor. So he had three or four churches and every Sunday and you hear stories about my father and my uncle going around and, you know, they had to throw the coals in the fire before they started service and all kinds of those fun things, as you can imagine. And then my dad followed in his footsteps and um, once again, um, obviously had the role model of his father, but he took a different direction um, through the Methodist church. He graduated at the age of 17, because they did not have 11th and 12th grade when my dad was going to school. And he left home and left the United States and made the decision to train as a Methodist missionary. That's where my, he and my parents were met. And he took off on a pilgrimage to Bolivia. And he taught himself Spanish. He taught, and they were, and my mother respectively went to Cuba, and for four years, they conversed on, um, you know, they're sharing their stories, and we have all of their love letters to each other, and they're just fascinating. But throughout that, it, um, it just continued to resonate into me why my father chose the Methodist faith. And as I was growing up, my parents were very, um, they, you would think if you're a Methodist minister, and Brian, I'm not saying anything about, about your, your family, but they, were very, they didn't pressure us to do anything. They didn't pressure us to, well, you know, you're the child of a Methodist minister. You need to be going to Sunday school every week. And you need, they set the stage. They lived the life, and we followed it. And so as a, as a youth, a child and as a youth, I, I, I started making my own choices, but it was based on their guidance. And it was one of, of 
just genuine spirituality, genuine faith of how they live their lives. And then as adult, and as I became a Methodist, um, I, I realized just what, what I love about being a Methodist is it's just accepting. It is, there is no pretense about, okay, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be reading your Bible. You gotta be doing this. It was more important to, to, to live your faith. And, and that's why I continue to be a Methodist today. Okay. Um, I'm not texting. I didn't want to make too much noise to like get something to write. So I'm like typing my follow-up questions. Um, Brian, you mentioned discipleship is what drew you in. So in a way, I feel like since that drew you in, what kept you interested in the Methodist church? I think parts of the things that interested me, and maybe this is kind of what Janet was saying too, was it's not our tradition, kind of as a way of understanding Jesus, it's not forced. And a lot of the traditions I'd been in previous, one was a more of a Pentecostal Church of God when I came to faith, and then a Southern Baptist campus ministry. And it did seem, a lot of times it felt very heavy-handed. And I, I think maybe that's the difference, is there's more of an emphasis, instead of kind of motivating with guilt, we tend to motivate with grace. That has drawbacks, because if you motivate with grace, it means you can let people off the hook. And Maybe people aren't committed always to doing everything that you expect of them. But to me, it was always a better way because it mirrored the way that, that Jesus kind of operated. And so I think that kept me because it felt more natural. It felt more how I understood Jesus to be. And it seemed to produce a result in people where it grew them in grace versus in guilt. And that was pretty powerful for me. Okay. And as... Two people who have been involved with the Methodist Church for a long time. Um, the United Methodist Church, in my opinion, is still relatively new. I guess it formed in, in the 1950s. I did some research. Um, but what does it look like to both of you today? And I guess I'll start with Janet, maybe. Um, I say it, I would say it continues, it continues to be how my um, parents modeled it for us. It's, it's the guiding with grace. I love that the guiding with grace instead of with guilt. And, um, you know, and I have some really funny examples of how my parents showed a little bit too much grace to me when I was a teenager. Um, one of the funniest moments was that um, I was quite the teenager when I was, yeah. And people would come up to my dad and say, oh, are you so-and-so's he, um, father? And he'd say, I need you to just ask me why you're asking me that question first, and then I'll tell you who I am. <laughs> so it was almost like, Okay, I wasn't the typical PK, but again, there was grace. There was, because they knew that, that foundationally my faith was there, I just put a different wrap on it sometimes, you know. But I think um, that's what just continues to me. I think it is, especially um, as we continue to embrace um, the future of diversity, the 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 um the face of inclusion i was very fortunate um when i was young and i my 
I lived overseas. I was born overseas. Um, that my parents modeled that for us at a very early age. And I just grew up believing that is what the Methodist Church is all about. And so today I I look I I I'm encouraged by that continued acceptance, by that continued focus. And I know that there is work going on in the Methodist Church today and forward um, to make that a little a little more um broader. Um, but that that's I think what continues to give me um, joy of being a Methodist. And I think that's a plain way of saying it. And you mentioned, if I get back to my notes, the kind of push for this continued acceptance, inclusion, and diversity. Is that where you see the focus of the United Methodist Church today? Is that where you feel the focus is for the United Methodist Church today? I think that's a better way to phrase it. I certainly think it's an important one. Um, it is. It is not all. There, there, there are several, but I think that is one of the most important culturally right now that we um, should be and need to be focused on. And I think it's going to. It's going to come with some growing pains, unfortunately, um, as that is not. The changes I think that are being um, talked through um, are not widely accepted by all. Um, for those of you all that don't know, there is a book of discipline within the Methodist Church, and it has some restricted language in there. John and I talked about it a few weeks ago. Yeah, um, it's episode two, and I was going to circle back to that, but keep going. So um, you know the the. It is, it is laid out very clearly about um, clergy leadership, about um, the, the performing union for a, a, a same-sex couple. Um, and I, I think it is, as I said, the way I grew up, I always viewed the Methodist Church as accepting, as inclusive, as liberal. Um, so I have never really focused on, on that restrictive language. So for me, it is, it is, it's to me never been there, but I know that it, it's there. Um, but I do think culturally, um, that is something that we need. One of the key focuses moving forward within the Methodist church. I, I think here at Citrus, um, I'm very proud of us because that is how we launched, right? And right. so we have, to me, already set the bar and we have already started the modeling of what a future Methodist church, um, I would like to see the Methodist churches look like, if that makes sense. It does. Um because we mentioned the Book of Disciplines. John and I did an episode a couple of weeks ago talking about the social principles and everything in the Book of Disciplines. And I don't remember what the changes were, because General Conference was a few years ago, 
Right. And what, what's interesting about this particular change, um, it had a lot of momentum prior to the pandemic, um, is that it is worldwide. So right. it is not just the United States conferences. It is, it is um, all the way across the globe. So the, the, in order to bring all of those delegates together is, is quite an undertaking. Um, right. I, I, I wouldn't want to speak and say Brian may know more um, that there is a new definitive date for that. Um, but for that, the next one or? For the, for the vote. Oh. So okay. the vote coming up, which would, in essence, make that restrictive language change. Um, but it is, it is quite an undertaking. But that's why I'm proud of the individual churches that are already um, making those steps or, or, or setting those, those example churches um, for what that moving forward would look like. Right. Which I, is us. <laughs> uh, whenever the last general conference was, I know it's been within the last four years. It might have been 2019. Teen. Brian did a sermon on it, and it's still saved somewhere in the archives at our Citrus Church. Um, I don't remember exactly what the rule changes were, but I know that's like the good example of what John was talking about with how there is that effort to make sure we're staying on top of these and they're not like static rules that were made in the 1780s. Like there is that effort to address what is going on in the world today. Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And interestingly, um, and Brian can, can, can add this too. Um, we are in the midst of a Bible study with Brian and this was our topic last night and it was perfect timing. I know. <laughs> and, um, I might get his first name wrong. I think it, I, um, but there is a gentleman's last name is Hamilton and he has done sermon series. Um, and one of them was on this topic and in it, and it integrated not only the topic of homosexuality in the Bible, but it also talked about women and slavery. And he, he, he put an interesting spin on it. He, he had us think about it is, were these passages in the Bible, which I think eventually led to the restrictive language and how, how things were written, right, originally, is was this just um, a sign of cultural times, or was it God's, truly God's will? Because God's, God's will is to love everyone and accept everyone, and, and, and what plays in the back of my mind constantly is the song Jesus loves the little children right mm -hmm. and and if you think about it that that not only fits the little children it 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 fits everyone and you know there is no there is there should be there should not be any um special key to get into the kingdom of heaven is <laughs> the way i think about it because all are welcome jesus welcomed all and I think that we culturally need to continue to focus on that effort and not, not any type of label. We talked about this last night. Um, because 
to me, what's important to me is that that person has been saved. And that person, I have provided grace to that person no matter what they look like, what they, their, their orientation is, any, you know, what their ethnic background is. It shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. What should matter is they're a person of faith. They deserve my grace. And I think that as, as long as we can continue moving forward and focusing on those things, that is what I believe is important within all faiths, but particularly within our church. Okay. I like that. It was not intentional, but I like that that's kind of been the running theme throughout these conversations I've had, is that the draw to the United Methodist Church, or just Methodist Church in general, maybe, is that it's that there's the effort to be more inclusive, mm-hmm. to be more diverse, to continue to, I guess, make things right in the world, I guess is a decent way to put it. Like that's, that that's a good way to put it, yeah. I like that that's been the running theme throughout this series. It was not intended, but I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in a way, I know we've covered a lot, but what, and we've kind of answered it, but what does the Methodist Church mean to you? Um, what does it mean to you? What does it represent? I love Brian's word of grace. When I think of the Methodist Church, I think of grace. There is no, there is no um, expectation. There is no. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the right term. There is no um, judgment. Um, it is it is purely a welcoming environment, and and you know our theme is a welcome invitation to Christ. But it is. But I think of the Methodist Church also as a welcome invitation to faith. It's a welcome invitation to grace. It's a welcome invitation to just purely being saved and knowing that you are in a loving community of faith. And there are no labels. There are no dividers. There are no, um, as I said earlier, judgments. It is pure and simple grace and acceptance of who you are as an individual. And one of the most beautiful things to me is when we, are, when we do communion. And it is, I have done what I call uh, rustic communion um, on a mission trip up on a, this, a rock, and we pulled out whatever Dixie cups we had and were able to take the bread and the and the wine and that was that was powerful to the very formal you walk up the aisle you you sit around the rail you pick up the little 
thing of juice, and then you have the pastor come around and say the 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 messages to you, um, to how we do it today, which is which is by intinction is the term, which you know you pick a piece of the bread off. It's not a pre-cut little we're well right now we're not there because of COVID. We use the little kits, but moving forward, we'll get back to the intention. And there's a moment about breaking that bread and that same bread that was held um, by the pastor and, and saying the words and then serving that same element to each and every person that came up. There is something so special about it. But the, the biggest part about it is we are the Methodist Church. There are no rules for taking communion in our community. You are forgiven. You all are welcome at our table. And that just sums it up for me. And I love it every time that it's said for communion. And I love, I have had the wonderful experience of receiving communion, but I have also had the experience of giving communion which to me is just powerful, powerful to know that I'm able to provide that to someone. All right. And Brian, I'll ask you the same question, how it looks to you today. I tend to be hopeful about the future and the direction of Methodist Church, and I realize that some can be... Um, see it as kind of a negative, and people can, on, on all sides of our inability to agree or disagree on homosexuality in particular, but I tend to remain hopeful and optimistic. I'm appreciative for our Bishop Ken Carter, who has also helped us to say, we can grumble and complain, but we can also move forward together in mission, and we don't have to to stop. And I think that highlights what, to me, is some of the best parts about the Methodist Church. I think at its best, it recognizes that each of us are individuals made in God's image. We each see the world very differently. And yet, we can come together on things like um, who God is and how Christ is active in the world um, and move forward. So, so I look forward to what the Methodist Church can become, and I still honestly remain hopeful. And as the leader of our church who is heavily involved with the Methodist Church, One what of the is leaders. the... As the main guy who has lead on his name tag, uh, what is the focus of the United Methodist Church, and if you want to get more specific, the Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church as a whole today? What do you feel the focus hmm. is on? Well, honestly, I feel like most of the focus right now is on will the Methodist Church split or not? And there's a lot of nuances to that. and. But, but I think that is because my role as a pastor puts me in collaboration with other pastors and other denominational leaders, and we are, for lack of a better word, inside the institution, and so we think a lot about how will this church continue, what will it look like? I wonder to what extent that's what's on the mind of the people who are in the churches, in the pews, and in the chairs. Um, and sometimes I... I I like the Methodist Church because it's, it's intended to be at its best a collaboration between the laity and the, pastor, and the pastors. Um, 
And I oftentimes think that the lay people, the people in the pews each week, are more focused on how do we live as disciples of Christ on Monday morning. And sometimes as pastors, we get so focused on the institution that I think we're, we're missing the opportunity to help the people make an impact each day. I mean, there's significant issues, and I'm not trying to get around that. I'm just saying, I think that the, the more we allow Methodism to be Methodism, which was a movement of the people, the more it reminds us that that's who we are as, at the core, as a community of people who are dedicated to Christ. And maybe another thing that stood out as I was mentioning to Janet, the last general conference was 2019. That sounds right, because you did a sermon on it. And as the guy who edits serious sermons, that one didn't make it online because we weren't doing that yet. But it is in the Citrus archives. Um, I like that there is that push to join together. What is it? Every four years mm-hmm. to join together every four years to at least make an attempt at addressing what's going on in the world. Yeah, yeah, and that's a historical part of who we are. Every four years. Um, well, so let me back up. Every year, the the annual conferences, which is just a fancy way of saying kind of mostly for the United States, uh, broken up by state. Um, so Florida conference is Florida minus the panhandle that goes with Alabama. Um, and so each year we gather together to do business, but also to worship and to be together. Um, and each church sends a pastor and a lay representative. So for every pastor, there's a lay representative. Janet is that for us this year. Um, and so it helps to kind of keep that balance. But then every four years, the global United Methodist Church comes together to really talk about um, the big things that we're facing. And, and a lot of times it, it becomes focused on one or two kind of key issues. Um, but those have been postponed because of the pandemic and the reality that we can't safely gather all the Methodists from around the world at, at one place. And I was telling, I was telling um, Jared while you, you were out that you've got to feel pretty proud that we started with the new direction. We started with the 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 model, mm. and to Bishop Carter's point, we might have to start small. Mm. And we, I believe at Citrus, have already set that model as to what we want the future to look like, yeah. in my eyes, what it should have always looked like, but what we want the future to look like. Um, so um, it's got to feel good that we're, we're at that place. It, I, I think that's one of the benefits. I remember when Bishop Carter first came uh, to our church and preached at Citrus. It was in the early days at the, at the movie theater. And uh, he mentioned, how are things going? I said, things are going good. I remember him commenting, saying, that's the benefit of a new church is you just haven't been around long enough to have a lot of division yet. <laughs> but I do think that it's helped us to be able to, as a new church, kind of say for the last couple of years, you know, we do want to be a church that's inclusive of the LGBTQ community. Um, and, and we've been able to, since we're younger, start more on the same page. And I think that's helped us in this time because we're already kind of all thinking about and discussing these things. Um, and I hope it, it will help us to continue to have either tough or vital conversations as we've had to in the pandemic about, um, about race and racism and about um, just the different ways that how does the church engage with the reality of the world? And so I, I agree, Jen. I think that it's been refreshing to use our tagline 
Um, I, I am proud to be a part of Citrus, not just because I was there at the beginning, but I'm proud of who we are. I love the people who are part of our church. Um, and I just think it's a fun representation of God's kingdom in this community. This also wasn't the goal, but it's also happened throughout this entire thing is that this was not intended to also be a like promotional <laughs> citrus is great type thing, but it's happened and I'm okay with that because it means, what did I say the other day? It means we're, we're not doing too bad. Yeah. <laughs> we're, doing, we're not doing too bad. Um, so maybe to wrap things up or not to wrap things up yet, but um, Brian, what does kind of everything we've talked about, what does all that mean to you in terms of like, what Methodism or being part of the United Methodist Church means to you as a per, and you can interpret this how you want, but I also wrote like as a person, not as a pastor. I think I, I appreciate that because while everyone sees me as a pastor, I, I still always want to see myself as a follower of Jesus whose job is to be a pastor. Um, and those get really intertwined, but I was telling someone the other day, if I ever quit or find a different profession or have, or for some reason, I still want to be a follower of Jesus. And the Methodist church, I felt like has given me the tools to do that. Um, in particular, when we commit to be a member of the Methodist church, we say that we commit with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And I've always felt like those five categories at least gave me a method because I'm methodical too, to say it's about my prayers. It's about me being present in worship and in the world. It's about um, how do I serve beyond myself. It's about how do I share my faith. Um, and so I felt like those five categories have always helped me to keep so my faith just doesn't become one-sided or only internal or, or just when I'm working. So that, to me, that's been the gift that's been given back. All right. And now to actually wrap up, any maybe parting thoughts for those listening? If you're listening and you're a part of Citrus, I'd love for you to consider thinking about why do you consider yourself Methodist? Uh, if you do, why? You know, think deeply about that. If, if you don't and you're coming to Citrus and you like it, maybe consider why do I like this church? Why does it fit? Why does it help me? And, and just invite you to dig deeper on that in your faith. All right. Yeah. I think I'm good. Thank you for letting me be a part of this. And it's, it's, it's uh, been interesting to hear about your, your start, Brian. Um, and I, I, I'll, I'll just, you know, tag on to what Brian said. Um, I think, um, you know, as, as, as members of the church, and this might outreach into someone who is not currently um, attending with us, but um, just continue to, to, to take a spiritual deep dive, um, into your faith and in any way that we as a church can help you with that, um, please let us know because that is, um, the reward of doing that is, is so great. And, um, I just urge each person, even if you just take baby steps towards that, um, it is, it is a, a great um, thing for your soul, I would mm -hmm. say. So. Absolutely. All right. And with all that said, we will catch you next time. <laughs>